Chapter Seventeen of Craddock Knoll: A Tale of the New Forest, Volume One, by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Seventeen. Biddy O'Gain was hard at work boiling down herbs and blessing them, drying and bottling cleverly, scraping and picking the cloves out. She had turned the still room of the house into her private laboratory and she saved all the parish and half of the hundred from them poisoners as called themselves doctors now she was one of those powerful women common enough by the by who can work all the better for talking and between her sniffs at the saucepan lids and her tests upon the drying pans she had learned that something strange was up and had made fifty guesses about it blowing the scum and the pearly beads from a pot of pellitory of the wall one of her staunch panaceas she received a command most peremptory to present herself in the justice room then that was the way as they said it dick no sense no manners but that and every bit of the blessed while they knowed it for my bilin day max draw thin is bridget o'gain no more count than a poisonin doctor hold that handle there dick if ever you stares in the breadth of one of your carroty whiskers from that smut on the fire bar till such time as you sees me again i'll down with it all in your crooked back bilin and your childers shall disinherit it leaving dick rooted in trepidation for she was now considered a witch she hurried into her little bedroom for she had the strongest sense of propriety and would not make herself common then she dashed her apron aside and softened the fire-glow from her nose and smoothed the creases of her jet black hair which curled in bars like crochet work this last she did with some lubricious staple of her own discovery applying it with the ball of her thumb the hairs of me head as she always called them were thick of number and strong of fibre and went zigzag on their road to her ears like a string of jockey's horses shying or a flight of jack-snipes then a final glance at her fungus looking-glass just to know if she were all right the glass gave back a fine warm-hearted face still young in its rapid expression irish in every line of it glazed with lies for hatred and beaming with truth for love so biddy gave two or three nods thereat and knew herself match for fifty cross-examiners if she could only keep her temper as she marched up to the table with her head thrown back her portly shape made the most of and the front of her strong arms glistening then dropped a crisp curtsey to sir cradock without deigning to notice his visitor the little doctor's experience told him that he had caught a thorough tartar all his solemn preparations were thrown away upon her though the biggest testament in the house lay on the table before him and a most impressive desk was covered with pens and paper and sealing wax dr hutton would not yet open his mouth because he wished to begin augustly meanwhile sir cradock kept waiting for him till biddy could wait no longer turning her broad back full upon rufus who appreciated the compliment she made another short scrape to her master and asked with an ogle suppressed to a mince and what would your honour be pleased to want with the poor widow bridget o'gayen then bridget that gentleman dr hutton has made an extremely important discovery affecting most nearly my honour and that of the family and now i rely upon you bridget as a faithful and valued dependent of ours 
to answer without reservation or attempt at equivocation all the questions he may put to you questions your honor and biddy looked stupid in the cleverest way imaginable yes questions bridget o'gain inquiries interrogations ah that quite explains what i mean is it acting any harm then any undersinia of a poor lone widow woman your honor would be after she took to her brogue as a tower of refuge bilingual races are up to the tax of rats with a double hole sir craddock knoll said rufus from the bottom of his chest you i believe are a magistrate for this county of hampshire vice-lieutenant colonel of yeomanry the representative of the sovereign i call upon you now in all these capacities to administer the oath to this prevaricating woman the penultimate word rather terrified bridget for she never had heard it before but the last word of all reassured her she turned round suddenly on little rufus who had jumped from his chair in excitement and standing by head and shoulders above him she opened her great eyes down upon him like the portholes of a frigate faith then i never seen this young man at all at all it's between the arms of the cheer he were and me never looked so low for him tis the black measles as he took and i've seen as bad a case brought through with the luck of the blessed saints in glory i've been biling up for the same and if it's nurse him i can to the tune of it i'm entirely at your service sir craddock i like to nurse a base little chap sin there no call to fear for his beauty this last was uttered gently and quite as a private reflection but it told more than all the rest for ever since dr hutton had married a woman half his age he had grown exceedingly sensitive as to his personal appearance by a very great effort he kept silent but his face was almost black with wrath as he handed the great book to sir craddock the magistrate presented it very solemnly to bridget who took it as patly as if it had been a flat iron a score of times she had sworn accordingly to what she thought good for her years ago in ireland at the right moment of dictation she gave the book a loud smack that required good binding to stand it and then crossed herself very devoutly to take the taste away of a heretic oath she had little fear though she would not have told a big lie to her priest then she dropped her eyes and chastened her aspect as if overcome by the sense of solemn responsibility bridget o'gayan began the worthy doctor emphasizing slowly every syllable of her name and prepared to write down her replies you are now upon your solemn oath to declare the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth and if you fail in this remember you will place your precious soul in the power of the evil one amen to that same then and more power to you bridget do you remember the night when your master's children were born sure and i do then unless it were the morning how would i help remember it and do you remember the medical gentleman who was suddenly called in and if i were ten times on my oath i don't remember no gentleman a bit of a red-head gassoon he was as were on the way to be transported do you remember his name remember it let me see then it were hardly worth the trouble of forgetting button or mutton no faith i believe it were rubus rotten well never mind his name 
my faith and i never did then nor the little spalpin neither but to my heart i was sorry for the dear good beautiful lady glory be to her soul along of that ignorant carroty sprawling big-knuckled omadorn small chance for her to get over it silence woman how dare you said sir cradock very angrily and i thought it was all the truth as your honour said i was to tell here biddy looked hurt and amazed have the little clerk got it all in black and white with a sigh for his incapacity she peered over the desk at his paper now mrs o'gair no trifling her master spoke sternly and sharply but rufus could not speak at all he was in such a choking passion if so be i said any harm sir for the best of us is erroneous i axes a humble pardon ever since i loses my good husband and a better husband there couldn't be barrin only the bellises and i wouldn't deny upon my oath but what i deserve the spout now and then mrs o'gain said dr hutton trying very hard to look amiable do your best for once i entreat you to prove yourself if there is such a thing a respectable irish woman from that moment the tables were turned her temper boiled up like a cauldron it is quite of a piece with a thing that is all pieces the genuine irish nature that proud as they are of their country they cannot bear to be told of their citizenship irish then is it irish indeed well i knows i'm irish and if i ain't what do i care who knows i am she flung up her head superbly and great tears ran from her eyes rufus hutton perceived his advantage and though not at all a mean fellow he was smarting far too sharply from the many attacks on his vanity to forego his sweet revenge you remember then when the doctor gave you the first-born child that he made some odd remark and told you to keep it separate and how can a poor irishwoman remember anything at all come you know very well that you remember that now can you deny it it is likely you'll catch me deny anything as is a lie then irish or not as you pleases her bosom still was heaving with the groundswell of her injury well now for the honour of old ireland tell us the truth for once what were the words he said save me if ever a bit of me can tell mayhap i might call to mind if i heard them words again were they not these left to right over the shoulder and a strapping boy he is be dad then and they might have been i want to know what they were how can i tell what they were i only know what they was well and what was that the very same words as you've said she turned towards the door with a sullen air while he looked at sir cradock in triumph nevertheless he still wanted her evidence as to the subsequent mistake he had been as i said to the jolly foresters and seen the miss penny of old who now as a mother of nine or ten children was kindly communicative upon all questions of infancy so then mrs o'gayan with the best intentions in the world you marked the elder child with a rosette as i saw on the following day true for you is the gospel and what more would you have me do nothing only take a needle and thread to it instead of crimping it into the cap poor biddy started from where she stood and pressed one hand to her heart it's the devil himself she muttered as turned me inside out so and sure that same is the reason he does be so black red then aloud with a final rally 
and who say they ever see me take a needle and thread and if i did what odds to them no that was the very thing you omitted to do until it was too late but when you sent to mrs toaster for her large butter scales what was it you put on each side what was it no lining at all fair play to both of them as i hope to be weighed in purgatory sir cradock was looking on all this while with the deepest amazement and interest he had not received any hint beforehand of this confirmative evidence and pray what was the reason that you wanted to weigh them at all you know that it is considered unlucky among nurses to weigh infants why else would i weigh em except to see which were the heaviest and pray bridget which was the heaviest asked sir cradock almost smiling mr cradock as is now your honour i'd swear upon my dying bed did you think then i'd ever wrong him the innocents as they was and did you weigh them with rosettes on rufus hutton had not yet finished how could i and only one i got oh then you had fastened it on again do you think there was born with ribbons on this was poor biddy's last repartee she lost heart and told everything afterwards how she had heard that there was some difference in the marks of the infants though what it was she knew not justly having like most irish women the clearest perception that right and left are only relative terms and come wrong in the looking-glass as they do in heraldry how when she found the rosette adrift she had done the very best she could according to her lights to work even-handed justice and up to this very day believed that the heft of the scales was the true one then she fell to a crying bitterly that her darling crad should be ousted and then she laughed as heartily that her dear boy clayton was in for it with timid glances at mrs o'gayan like a boy's at his schoolmaster jane cripps came in and told all she knew saying please sir at every sentence she had seen at the time dr hutton's sketch which was made without biddy's knowledge because she never would have allowed it on account of the bad luck to follow and mrs cripps was very clever now everything was known she had felt all along that things went queerly on the third day after the babes were born she had made up her mind to speak at the time only mrs o'gayan was such excuse her such a disciplinarian that that and then lady knoll died and everything was at sixes and sevens and no one cried more violent let them say what they like about it than she jane penny as had been if sir cradock thought further evidence needful there was mrs boyer a most respectable woman who washed thirty shillings a week mrs cripps first cousin and co-mate who had heard at the time all about the drawing and had not been easy about the scales and had dreamed of it many times afterwards as indeed her aunt betsy now and her husband was no man for he never would have said to her by this time the shadows came over the room and the trees outside were rustling and you could see them against the amber sunset like a child scrawling on his hornbook volunteers throughout the household longed to give their evidence their self-respect for a week would be hostile if it were not accepted but sir cradock kept the door fastened till mrs o'gayan slipped out and put all the wenches down the steps backwards mrs toaster alone she durst not touch but mrs toaster will never forgive her and never believe the case tried on its merits because she was not summoned to depose to the loan of the scales 
ha so it is in our country and among the niggers also when wealth position title even bastarddom from princes even the notoriety which a first-rate murderer stabs for when any of these are in question how we crowd into the witness-box how we feel the reek of the court an aureola on our temples but let any poor fellow noble unknown an upright man now on the bend with trouble let him go in to face his creditors after the uphill fight of years let him gaze around with work-worn eyes which of his friends will be there to back him who will give him testimony after all what matters it except in the score against us we are bitter with the world we make a fuss and feel it fester we explode in small misanthropy only because we have not in our heart saw the true balm of humanity no longer let our watchword be every man for himself and god for us all but every man for god and so for himself and all so may we do away with all illicit process and return to the primal axiom that the greater contains the less End of chapter seventeen